How you guys doing out there? You look good. You look good. Look good. All right, so we're in a new series, week number two, um, entitled Here Now. I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, and it's going to be a, I believe what God has given me today is just for anyone that would listen. Um, how was last week? Was last week good? Was it fire? Good, man. I heard so many, uh, I heard rave reviews about the message last week and how just life-altering it was. Uh, we talked about, you know, the difference between hearing and listening and uh, how hearing is an event that leads to neutrality of action. So you can hear something but not necessarily move. When you listen, it causes you to move in, in, the, in the direction of the message. So here now is, is a series, it's surrounded around this, this idea that prophets were sent by God to uh, foretell his word. They were messengers, deliverers, like UPS uh, guys, but with the word of God. And they would oftentimes speak of what was to come, be it a warning or a message of hope. And uh, they would say, hey, repent of your sins, turn back to God, if not, uh, Babylon's going to come and take you into exile. Uh, Egypt is going to conquer you or uh, Syria is going to take you over. Or, hey, there's a Messiah coming. There's a, a deliverer. There's a savior who's on the way. So have hope. Um, but the function of a prophet wasn't always to just encourage you or to warn you about the future. The function of a prophet is to tell you about the future in light of your present so that you would hear God's word and that you would move according to it. And um, prayerfully, you can be blessed by your obedience. And so last week, we, we laid a foundation about hearing versus listening. And uh, we shared a story uh, at the beginning how my, my son, a lot of, you know, two times over the past three weeks, he's managed to leave the door wide open. I'll say, hey, me and your brother, we're going to go to our... Uh, go to the car, and I'm going to strap him in. Um, make sure you lock the bottom lock. And sometimes I'll turn around when he gets in the car, and I'll go back just to check the door. And there have been two instances recently where the door wasn't just locked, but it was completely open. So you got to ask yourself, did he hear me or not? He probably heard me, but he wasn't listening. Last week was powerful. I think this week is going to be next level. So Get your notes together. I'm the type of preacher, if this is your first time here, um, I like to speak with you. Oftentimes when I'm preaching, I'm talking to myself. Um, we also want to welcome our first-time guests. Let's give them a hand clap. We're honored to have you. Um, it's, it's amazing. We're, we're eight weeks old, so continue to work with us. We're, we're still trying to figure out what a new church looks like and what prayer nights look like, um, uh, a few announcements, and we'll make it more formal next week. We're, we're not going to have a Christmas Eve or a Christmas service, so we won't be here on the 25th or 24th. Um, we're going to prepare for next year. I believe God wants to do something next year, uh, next Christmas. Um, in January, uh, this may sound scary, hopefully our, our church doesn't become just empty all of a sudden, we're going to be going on a 21-day fast um, based out of Matthew 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, of heaven, and all these things. Everything you need will be added unto you. So this is something personally my wife and I have been doing even before we got married as friends for the past five, six years. Just every January, 21 days, giving it to God. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to teach the entire month of January about fasting. So as you're fasting, you can get filled up with the, the word of God when you come to church. We're going to have a 21-day devotional for you straight out of our house, out of our creative department, entitled Stretch. It's going to be the name of the series. I don't have time to talk on fasting. Just don't be afraid. Join us. It's a game changer, man. Um, Jesus put it this way. He... he uh, I don't really have time to preach this, but he put it this way. He said, certain things can't come out of your life until you actually pray and fast. Sometimes you can pray, but 
there are other times you got to add a fast on top of it if you expect to see uh, profound results. So um, fasting, fasting is going to be fun. Then we're going to prepare for Easter. We're going to have a big Easter um, um, shindig. So those are just my few plugs. Let's get into the Word of God. So I had an uncle who used to uh, take me to school, Uncle Dave. He's since passed away, passed away about 10 years ago. I'm not choking up. <clears throat> it's the, the dryness in here. He passed away about 10 years ago. Um, he used to take me to school in, in elementary. Um, and I would say around fourth, fifth grade, uh, our, our, my school was about five, six minutes driving distance from, from the house. And it was a few turns and you were there. I would say around fourth, fifth grade, I would notice that when he, uh, he pulled up to a stoplight and there was a car in front of him, he, he would, you know, the normal person would pull up and stop about five feet, front end, rear bumper, five feet. But between my fourth and fifth grade, he, the, the distance started to increase between the car in front of him and, and him. So he would it'd be like eight feet. A couple weeks, months later, it'd be like 10 feet. 15 feet. Before you know it, we were like, my gosh, I'm like three cars can fit. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at them. I'm, I'm, I'm young, so I don't want to question them because that's the way I was taught when I was raised. You don't question adults, especially older adults. He was my grandma's brother, so he was, he was older. Um, and so I, I went home, and I asked my grandma and my mom, I said, um, when Uncle Dave drives me to school, He's, he stops far from the cars in front of him. And they're like, yeah, yeah, baby. Um, we never told you this. I said, we never told you this, but your uncle is blind in one eye. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. And you trust him to drive? Have you lost your... I didn't say that. I would have got a belt, but... I'm old school. I know we live in liberal Maryland. We're from Florida. I believe in the belt. So you can call the cop. Come on now. You can call the cops on me if you want, but tell the cops to take them. Um, so anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm wasting. So I need to get into the word. So yeah, Uncle Dave uh, stopped and they said, you know, he, he's not just a barbecue man because he had a portable barbecue truck. His barbecue was amazing. They said he used to be a mechanic. Um, his favorite driver, uh, race car driver was Richard Petty. Y'all don't know nothing about Richard Petty. I don't even know about him. He's not in our generation. I just heard about him. And so uh, he was fixing a battery one day, and acid got in his eye. And it's what caused the blindness there. And, and so his other eye was starting to, to weaken. All the strength had went to the other eye, and it started to weaken. And he developed some inconsistencies in it. And uh, he passed away when I was 19. I was able to... He had never really proclaimed Jesus. I had just given my life to Christ. I came home for a break, and he gave his life to Jesus on his deathbed. I was able to pray him through into heaven. It was an amazing honor and situation. Um, his other eye had began to develop uh, cataracts. Uh, cataracts, they say, are cloudy, fuzzy uh, images. When you have cataract, it's cloudy and it's fuzzy, and you can't tell the... Um, the, the, the shapes or the difference in the shape. So he had multiple surgeries to deal with that. Um, some people have what is called macular degeneration. Um, you all are geniuses out there. This is where you retain the periphery, but your central vision is blurry or blotched out. Um, others, diabetics, start to deal with vision loss, like real, real people that deal with bad cases of diabetes. Theirs is mostly shadows and blurs as well. Um, and then you have glaucoma. He also dealt with glaucoma. Uh, hazy, hazy, and he only really had tunnel vision. Um, these are kind of like the different varieties of, of blindness. Other than total blindness where you can't see anything, like you have no light perception. They call it NLP. That's total blindness. Um, I was thinking, because we're, we're, we're studying, Jesus is always the superstar at Highlight Church. Today, our subject is John the Baptist, and we're, we're going to tell you about him here in a few minutes. Um, 
I was thinking about us, though, as people. Like I said, I, I, I talk to you, you talk to me, and we can get through this together. I think most of us, we don't necessarily, you know, deal with those forms of blindness. I think spiritually, though, we, we, we're functionally blind um, in certain seasons. Uh, functional blindness is where you can see very little um, with your physical eye, what God is doing, how he's moving, how he's acting, what he's up to in your life. I think we're all functional blind. And they say when you're functional blind, when you can barely see, uh, you need to make some dramatic life changes in order to see. So for functional blind people, they need the Braille. They, they need to be able to read. Oh, boy, we don't already started. <laughs> I'm going to take you. They need the Braille. They, they need the Braille in order to read, right? Or, or they say uh, a lot of functionally blind people need a CD, MP3, iPod, audio in order to see. So they need their ears to see. They need to hear God in order to properly see God. And today is entitled Ears to See. Ears to see. If you're writing notes, I hope you are. It means you're growing as you're writing. Today, our, our superstar is John the Baptist. Let me tell you a little about, bit about my man, John. John was a miracle birth, okay? So John had old parents. Their name was Elizabeth and Zachariah. And Zachariah served as a priest. We're always talking about priests here, right? He served as a priest in the, in the temple of God. So it was his... It was his group's week to serve at the temple. So Zechariah had to go in, and he was going to burn incense before the Lord. And uh, his wife was barren. She couldn't bear children. And this one particular day, an angel comes and manifests himself in the temple. And he says, uh, Zechariah, you're going to have a, a son, his, and you're going to name him John. He's going to pave the way for the Messiah. Now, Elizabeth is like Mary's older sister or cousin or something, I think. I got to go back and read. And uh, Zechariah pretty much doesn't believe the angel when he says, okay, I'm going to have a son. He's going to point people to the Lord. He's going to pave the way for the Messiah. He's going to be a great man. Okay, whatever, angel, I don't believe this. We're too old for you to do the impossible in our lives. And uh, the, the Bible says that the angel shut his mouth. Zachariah actually didn't talk again until John was born. Be oh, man, we can preach that. We can just stay around here about how God has promises for your life, and he has instruction for your life. But oftentimes what we speak is directly against what God has proclaimed over our lives. And then the Bible goes on to say that uh, and there's the power of life and death is in the tongue, and those that eat the fruit thereof love it, meaning that whatever you speak, you're actually creating an entree that you take into your life. So what are you talking? What are you saying in, in, in light of what God has said about you? And so closes Zachariah's mouth until John is born. And some of y'all, see, I remember last week we talked about how it snatched. Like there's the word of God is seed, and you, you're, you're falling into a slumber, you're distracted, and it was snatched. Something I just said just there just could have set you free. It's been your tongue that's been keeping you where you currently are. And you need to begin to change the way that you talk and start proclaiming the word of Jesus over your life. And you'll start to see things alter in the way that you expect them to alter. Don't fall in a slumber when the preaching of the word of God is going on. And so back to John. So Zechariah, um, they conceive and uh, Mary is kind of three months, like, no, she's just conceived Jesus. She goes to visit Elizabeth. Uh, John is in the womb six months, and as soon as Mary approaches Elizabeth, it says the baby in, in the womb of Elizabeth jumps. Yes, yes, jumps, because John is in the presence of the one he's about to make a way for. And so John has an amazing ministry. People are getting saved. Some people are like, he's crazy because he lives out in the wilderness. He wears goat, sheepskin, and leather belts. He eats honey. He eats wild locusts and grasshoppers, and he's going, and he's preaching, repent, turn to God, repent, and he's baptizing people, and baptizing people, and baptizing people, and, and so 
then he ends up in prison. He's doing the right thing, but he ends up in prison. And he's in a dark place. And this is where we pick up uh, his story in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to go verses 2 through 15. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We got you covered. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 15. And it says this, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. Heard. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, why are you, oh, no, I'm sorry, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? You got to watch Jesus, the real star. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. I love how Jesus kind of puts it. He says what you've heard, then what you've seen, because you have to hear before you see. Take you to Genesis 1. God created nothing, right? And then he said, let there be light. And at the end of the day, he said it was good. So his, his instruction was first audible. Then what he presented was good. It was audible and then it was presentable, which tells me that whatever the word of God says is ultimately meant to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going because y'all, y'all out there just looking at me, man. Y'all looking at me. What God says is meant to turn out good. Okay? We're going to keep reading. So he said this, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who don't turn away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you expect to come out here and see? Did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, which is a plant, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John was more than a messenger. He he was more than than a delivery boy. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. He's talking about how John would come and prepare the way for Christ. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. This is crazy, though. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. We're going to talk about that. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, um, I don't know what this says, but I'm, I'm going to read it from my Bible here because I, I found some different on the Internet, NLT versions. It says here, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. That's the translation if it doesn't say that. And it says this, um, for before John came, all the prophets, the law of Moses, look forward to this present time. Verse 14, and if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. The one the prophet said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Don't worry. I'm going to help us through all that because a lot of that is a lot of that. And so (laughs) it's just a lot. Like, how's he the greatest, but he's also the least? And how am I going to teach us all this stuff in like 25 minutes? So we're going to get through it. Like, and then it says, who who is Elijah? How how does that even make sense? But we're going to deal with it, okay? Because of that, I have three points instead of four. All right? Point number one, ears to see. Point number one, we have to hear about the evidence. Point number one, if you're going to hear God in order so that you can see what he's calling you to and what he's currently doing and what his plans are for your life, you have to hear about the evidence. That's one thing you have to do. There's this thing called the, this group called the Innocence Project that um, they, they take up cases for those who have like 25 years to life or 50 years or they're on, they're on death row. And, and what the Innocence Project does is they take on these cases where there seems to be some shadiness in, in the trial, you know, the reasonable doubt deal. Like this person could potentially be innocent. And what they've come to find out since 1984 is that 
30% of people that are on death row, serving life, or more than 25 years in prison, 30% of people are innocent. Okay? And we just had a deal recently here in Norfolk, Virginia, where two guys actually died as they were in the process of being set free. They had spent 20 years in prison for a crime that they didn't commit. Um, what, but what happened? Why 20 years in prison? What happened? Well, it was the fact that no one had heard about the new evidence, the new evidence. The evidence that had developed in most of these cases is always pointing to the fact that their DNA proves that they weren't at the crime scene. They were not there. And so a judge doesn't exonerate these people. A jury doesn't set them free. No one can set them free. It's the news about the evidence that's directly attached to their freedom when they're in a dark place. One of the guys in Virginia actually had a daughter and a nephew he was raising at the time that he was arrested. He dies in prison, and he misses 20 years of their lives. But it was a three-year process right before he died in September. He knew he was about to be set free. It gave him hope. What do you do when you're in a prison? What do you do when you're in a dark season of your life, when you're confused, when you don't know what to expect or what to pray for? What do you do when you can't see beyond tomorrow? So I'll just show up to work. I'll just pay my bills. There's really no hope. There's no need to even dream about anything big. What do you do when you're confused? What do you do when you're stuck? One of my old favorite pastors said this. He said, you've either just came out of a rough season, you're going into a rough season, or you're in a rough season. So I don't know who this message is going to speak to today, but I know what those three points were forever revolving around those three situations in our lives. And so... What do you do when you're in a dark season? Well, well, number one, you have to understand that hearing favorable evidence enables us to see beyond the dark seasons. Okay? And so John would actually die in prison. He would be beheaded for his testimony about Jesus. He would never see beyond the walls. Which tells me that a lot of times the answer isn't to take you out of your situation. The answer isn't to send you that person you want to be with. The answer isn't to drop a million dollars out of the sky to take care of all your bills. The answer isn't so you and your husband can have enough money so you can spend every hour of the day together and and your kids don't ever have to worry. That's not the answer. It's not the answer to change your physical situation. A lot of times you don't need freedom, physical freedom. A lot of times you need faith. You need faith, and I'm going to show you why. John didn't need freedom. He needed faith. Faith in the Greek is paistai. It means guarantee. John needed the guarantee that what God had promised would actually come to pass or that it was already coming to pass on the outside of those four walls that he couldn't see beyond. He needed the guarantee It's also defined as persuasion. He needed a divine persuasion that even if he wasn't going to be physically set free, that the goodness of God was still going to reach him in that prison and that he could find hope beyond those walls. And so how do we receive faith? We receive faith through hearing. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing. The guarantee of God's promises come from hearing. Watch this now. You got to stick with me today. That is hearing the good news about Christ. The root cause of why we stay in dark seasons, in confused states, The root cause is that we're misinformed about the good news of Christ, who he is and what he has done in other people's lives. And we we need faith. Why is faith vital? Watch this. Faith, Hebrews 11, 1 says this. Faith shows the reality. Faith is the confidence. Uh Uh-uh. I don't. 
just listen to me. Um, I got to get with my, it's not his fault, it's my fault. It's, my Bible has a different deal. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence. Go back to that verse, please. That's fine. That's cool. It gives us the assurance. My Bible says it is the evidence of things we cannot see. So you're telling me what I heard shows that what I hope for is real. Faith is an intangible thing that calls the tangible into reality eventually. The fact that you are persuaded, watch this, shows us that what we hope for is actually real. Your persuasion of God's goodness, the guarantee of his love, shows us that what we hope for is in fact a reality. Where does this come from, though? It says the word about Christ. Let me help you, because we can't just have faith for anything. We just said that, okay? Faith for what we believe when we believe in the impossible is rooted in God's will and his purpose. The way you discover God's will for your life is in his revealed will. Watch me now, okay? We're going a little deep. We're going Greek and stuff. This is his revealed will. A lot of people, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will? What you're asking when you ask God that is what is his concealed will. God, what are you going to do in my life in six months, in a year? Like, Lord, who, who am I going to, what, what's this going to happen? God is like, have you, have you entertained the, the, the thought that I've given you a revealed will? The key is, is this. As we get more of his word into our hearts, as we believe it, the guarantees, as we trust it, as we're persuaded by it, and as we keep walking, heaven begins to release the concealed will into our lives. So what is faith? Faith is the evidence of what heaven wants to release. Faith calls that into tangibility into our lives. The fact that you have faith is evident that God has it in store for you. It's just only a matter of time before heaven drops it out. And Hebrews 11 is filled with just case studies of David and Jacob and Abraham went to a place. Abraham said, go, then I'll show. So hear me and then you'll see me. David saw Goliath, but by faith he was persuaded that he would take Goliath out. Whatever your Goliath is, it's not your car, no. Your Goliath is something bigger than that. So they're just case studies. After case studies, Hebrews 11, 1 through 38, you got to read that stuff. It's evidence of those that heard God and overcame every obstacle. So Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, Jesus told them, go back and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. He was pretty much telling John to tell him this. Those that, are, that were worse off than you are well now. There are so many of us in this room, we've been obsessing over our, our situation. Not to minimize our situation, your situation, but understand this. There are those who have been worse off than you that are now currently doing better than you. This is what Jesus is trying to t- tell John, like, this is the evidence. I know you're in prison. But it was revealed to you, John 1, chapter 1 says this. It says that in the beginning was the word, the word was God. If you skip down to verse 14, it says the word became flesh. Jesus is the word. When John was growing up as a young man, the Holy Spirit told him when the, when the dove descends upon him, that is the Messiah. So you, you'll know him when you see him. So uh, he saw Jesus and he baptized him. He lifted him out of the water and the dove uh, 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 and the dove came upon Jesus so Jesus could start his ministry. So at that moment, it was revealed to John that Jesus was the word, right? Now, what John needs, because he's wavering in his faith in the darkness, what John needs is the evidence that the word actually works. And Jesus seeks to get this to him through a message. I'm, I'm going, I, I'm going to, 
you know, as a tempta- it's a temptation as a teacher and a preacher, and we just started this church. I'm going to have to slow it down and, and really get back. Because this stuff, man, this stuff has worked in my life. I'm 29 years old, and I see the promised land. This stuff works. This stuff is good. And so he said this. He said, uh, this is the evidence. This is the evidence. John's heart was encouraged by the evidence. There's evidence right now sitting in your aisle. There's evidence. If you had time enough to get with that person, that person get with that person, that person get with that person, that person get with that person. Oh, man, I, you know, I was on a deathbed. I had cancer. Jesus raised me up. Oh, <clears throat> oh, I just got a cold. I'm sorry. You know, I'll be all right. I'll get over my flu. Oh, man, you know, my, my account was in the red for a whole six months. Now I'm just overflowing in finances. God has just really blessed me. Oh, wow, so there is hope. I won't be broke all my life. Oh, my God, I, I, I was, I'm a divorcee. I'm, I'm separated from my husband. Oh, well, me too, but, you know, God is good. I, I remarried or I didn't remarry, and I'm fulfilled. There's, there is evidence sitting all across this room, and this is why community is so important, because your story directly affects my journey. And so what Jesus was saying is that it's going on. God has given you victory over things in your past that would open my eyes to what he's doing in my present. The most powerful moves of God are first audible, then presentable. You got to hear it before you see it. I, I can't wait to link up with some of these guys in here for lunch, man. Like, you guys, a lot of guys are older than me in here. Yeah, I'm the man with the mic. I'm the pastor, Bible. No, whatever. Like, when I get away from this Bible, I'm a punk. I need, I need a man to tell me, what have you gone through? Because I need to know of the evidence of God's goodness in your life. And I need to know that he's real. Number two, we got to ask ourselves, when, when we're trying to see God, move, when we're trying to sense what God is doing, where he's sending us, do we come to seek a performance or receive a message? Seek a performance or receive a message. Verse 7 says this, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking to him, talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed? expensive clothes. Are you looking for a prophet? No, he's more than a man. Verse 10, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Recently, uh, about three days before we launched the church, my wife and I, we went to see Postmodern Jukebox. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this group, but they're amazing. Um, Raw talent. What they do is they dress up in 1920s clothing. They take songs from the 90s, 2000s, and our, our day and they put a big band spin on it. So, it, you know, you'll hear Justin Bieber's Sorry, or you'll hear Michael Jackson's This, and they turn, dun, 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 dun. and it's amazing. It's simply amazing. Um, some of the greatest performers of all time. Great concert, great performance. I was moved the most by when, uh, I was moved the most when um, Scott Bradley, the founder, came out. He came out, and Everyone clapped because they knew him, and I didn't. I'm new to it. My, my wife's been a fan. I'm like, who's this guy? <laughs> so, and he sat down on this piano, and he started just doing all these different things. And then he shared their story. The performance was amazing. But I, I woke up when, when a story came on. I said, wow. And he said, you know, the first time we performed in D.C., there was less than a couple hundred people. And we're sitting at Constitution Hall, and there was probably more than 3,000 people in there. Their first performance in D.C. was only a couple years ago. And he tells about how he starts in a, in a, in a bar, in a club, in a lounge, and, and it just builds on up. This speaks to me because in three days I'm starting a church. And uh, I, I left there, and my wife is, loves the performance. We're talking about it. But I'm holding on to the story that he told midway through the performance. And I think sometimes we become so distracted by the performance. And Jesus is asking a group of people, his disciples, his disciples, not John's, his disciples. When you guys saw John, when he was out there free, did you go to look for a performance? 
because he's different. He's different. He doesn't wear a suit. He doesn't wear khakis. He doesn't wear a button-up that's buttoned together with a tie on it. He wears slouchy clothes. There are rips in his jeans, and I'm not saying I'm John. <laughs> he wears a leather belt. He, uh, he eats honey and grasshoppers. When you went to church, were you looking for a performance? I'm, I've been guilty of this in my life. Someone will invite me to church or drag me to church. And uh, I'll come in. Even today, I have to still repent as a pastor. I'll come in. I'll look around. They're doing good work. Got about 1,000 people. That's good. That's awesome. And I'll sit and I'll critique the, 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 the preacher. I'll critique the pastor. I'll, I'll look at everything that he preached, and I'll look at the context, and I'll say, oh, my God, you missed a whole lot of information that you could have preached to the people. And I go and I look for a performance. And I have to repent and say, God, forgive me, because I missed everything that this man was trying to say to me through, through, you, know, through you, uh, you through him. And then I'll, I'll go to prayer sometimes. I'll say, Lord, oh, Lord, if, if you would just change my wife <laughs> or speak to her. God, if you would just change my managers and my, uh, my situation, just speak to her. And God is like, no. John was an anomaly. A lot of people went to his services, his baptism. Number one, he was baptizing people in the Jordan. The Jordan was dirty. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees had banned baptisms in the Jordan. And John was taking people and he was dipping people in it. Um, a lot of people saw John as a performer. They saw him as a comedian. He spoke loud. He was intense. He was in your face. He spit. He yelled. Because the Bible says, I think, Luke 1, 8 through 17, it says that when he proclaimed the good news about Jesus, he would do it with many warnings. The Messiah loves you, but stop what you're doing. Turn. Be healed. Repent. The Pharisees preached like this. Follow my advice, son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Guard your eyes. Don't do any wrong. And then they would send people home. John was completely different. They would show up, and John would be all over the place, all over the place, on his knees, throwing water on people, spitting at people. He was a performance. And you guys, you guys think I'm so off today, and I'm so on, which is so amazing. Um, and, and so th this, is, this is what it is. I've come to church looking for a performance. You've come to church looking for a performance. I've asked God to perform. He's said no. There were seasons I asked him to perform, not understanding that what he was proclaiming was of greater value. What he was saying to me or what he was trying to say to me was what I should have been paying attention to. That's what I should. There were seasons I asked him to perform. They were looking for a political Messiah. Some thought that John was the Messiah. They were under Roman oppression. They couldn't get their, their head over the ground. There was this issue and that issue and that issue and that issue. And so they wanted a Messiah to raise up to set them free from the oppression. And God doesn't want to send you a Messiah when you're in a mess. He wants to send you a message when you're in your mess. Because that's what's going to get you moving forward in life. And the message was this. If you turn to this person who's coming, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, all your problems will be taken care of. You won't need us to overthrow Rome. You won't need to reelect a president. You won't need to have another election. Because everything you need will be inside of you when you meet this Messiah that's coming. He was doing a spiritual work. He was setting the people free from their sins, from their inconsistencies, from their lack of commitment, from their lack of faith. And he was saying, if you would accept this individual that I'm sending, it's going to be all good. Because some miracles are instant, others are incremental. I asked God to send me a wife or send me a husband. He's saying, let's work on your patience. 
Let's work on those trust issues. The reason you haven't been able to retain someone is because you don't trust them. You know, Lord, I want to overflow in my finances. Well, stop spending everything that you make. Number one, bring the tithe back to the storehouse. The Bible says bring it. The, 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 everything you get paid, 10% is God's. Well, that was the law, Pastor. Jesus believed in the tithe. And, and giving predates the law. Abraham gave a tenth unto Melchizedek before Moses even wrote a law about it based on faith. So number one, bring the tithe to the storehouse. If you make 2,000, that's 200 is God's. Pay off your debt. Do that snowball Dave Ramsey thing. We're going to have Dave Ramsey in 2018. It's going to take a while, but pay off your debt. Um, and then set a budget. Live beneath your means for two or three years, and then poof, all your financial problems are gone. It's a message. Give me a great family. All right? You got kids. This is, I'm talking to myself now. A two-year-old and an eight-year-old, they're driving you nuts. But you got to love them, pray for them, support them. Be at every game, pray for them. You got to go to bed at 1 and wake up at 5.30. You got to be faithful. You got to teach them the Bible, teach them how to be a man, teach them how to work with their hands. Change my kids. No, I've given you the ability to change your kids. That's what my spirit is for. That's what my word is for. That's what my message is for. Lord, grow this church. Go out there and get the people. The church doesn't stay in the four walls. Go out there and invite people to church. Be a bringer. I'm preaching to myself right now. Is that good? We may not even make it to point number three. It's already 11 and 11. Thank you. Thank you. God is not always going to perform because sometimes he sends us a message of instruction. If we hear and obey, then we can expect the blessing to follow. Point number three. Is this good? Point number three. I want to talk about the right voice, the right vessel, the right vision. Right voice, right vessel, right vision. Verse 11 says this. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Jesus, you're bipolar. You're tripping. Verse 12, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. John, John was moving units, man. John was doing big work. And it says this, for before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let me, let me break this down. Take about seven more minutes. I'll have you out of here. John, John, the, the reason John was the greatest to ever live, so theologically, slow down all the preaching. Let's just teach some stuff here. John was the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament means covenant. Covenant is, there are many different covenants in the Old Testament, but the word covenant means agreement. Sometimes there would be a bilateral covenant that involved two parties. So the Mosaic covenant, which is the law, said that if you do this, this is what I'll do. God promised. Deuteronomy 28 shows you the first 14 verses where if you obey, I will do these things. If you disobey, it's like from verse 28 all the way to verse 100. It's like, dang, God, just chill. Oh, my God. So it was a bilateral agreement. Then there was the Abrahamic covenant. It was a unilateral agreement that no matter what Abraham did, God was going to fulfill his promise anyway. So the Old Testament is made up of the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms, the history, and all that, the Old Covenant. John was the last prophet of the Old Testament. God doesn't speak to anybody from Malachi to Matthew almost 400 years and John is this link from the old covenant to the new covenant. What is this new covenant? This new covenant is what we call a covenant of grace. It's, it's also unilateral, saying that no matter what you do, I still love you, 
and I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to shed my blood, and your sins are forgiven. The only thing you have to do is not perform. You don't have to work. You just believe by faith. And I give you this gift of salvation. I give you a new life. And everything that I have is yours, according to the book of Ephesians, that Christ, when he died, resurrected, he went up and sat on the right hand of God. And it says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. I wonder why so many Christians are defeated. Maybe because they're misinformed about who they are and what they have in Jesus. This is a covenant of grace. This is a covenant of works. John was the greatest man to ever live because he was the bridge. He was the avenue by which Jesus was going to come through and introduce this new promise. But he goes on to say this. He is not greater than the least of those in heaven. What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's saying that John was saved on credit. He's saying that John was saved in the future belief of the Savior, meaning that he paid for it because he died. That's what sin does. It causes death. He, he paid for it because he died. But when I come, I'm going to pay the credit bill off. So the Old Testament people were saved on credit. We were born in debt. It's called a sin debt. We're on the other side. Jesus says, and I paid those off. And for the ones that are coming after I die and resurrect and go to heaven, I paid those off in full, too. The only thing they got to do is receive the bill and accept it and say, oh, my sin debt is paid off. I can have a brand new life. I can be free. I can be filled. I can live with purpose. I can live with power. I can change the world. I can da 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 This is amazing. I can trust that God is going to be good to me. Wow, that's even faith? Oh, that's it. Just, just be persuaded that Jesus is the way. That's so easy. Thank you, God, for loving me. And so John is least than the first person that gave their lives to Christ and didn't do nothing with it. You can be greater than John sitting on your faith. Question is, do you want to be greater than John sitting on your faith? No one wants to be average. If you do, ugh. No one, no one wants to just be indifferent and okay. The Bible describes greatness as service. So Jesus said, anyone who has ears should listen. John's great. John was so great because he served. The voice of heaven is looking for a vessel. Still, my voice, this microphone, my voice is amplified. I'm not God, but for the sake of illustration, God, me, you. Guess what? If this microphone was not serving its purpose, but the fact is, is that you were created for a purpose. Isaiah 6, 8 says this, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Our purpose is to amplify the voice and the presence of God in the earth. As a human being, your purpose is to amplify the voice and the presence of God in the earth. I think of our original nine that moved here to amplify the voice and the presence of God in the city of Gaithersburg. I think about our original superheroes that journeyed with us during the interest meetings that sought to amplify the voice and the presence of God in the city. I think about our six or seven new superheroes last week. Let's clap it up for them. That said, we're going to Amplify the voice and the presence of God in the earth. Matthew 25, 23 says this. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. This is how the kingdom of God operates. When you die and when you, when you come before God, he's not going to say, 
well done, good and faithful mom, our well done, good and faithful daughter, our doctor, our nurse, basketball player. He wants to say good, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Winston Churchill said this. He said, the price of greatness is responsibility. John was so great because he fulfilled the vision that God had for his life. My response, this is my last deal, we're going home. My response to the voice of God continually gives birth to the vision of God for my life. Every morning you wake up, the Spirit is calling you. And what you have to ask yourself is, am I going to be a willing vessel so that I can see, so that I can walk in, so that God can use me? And in that, you're going to be blessed. The age of 19, I said, Lord, I'm going to make you famous in my life. And I wouldn't ask for another life. As John the Baptist would, I invite you into this reality. God has a vision for you. You're a vessel. Hear his voice. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. The worship team's going to come on up. Let's give it a hand clap. This is just God's word. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I was thinking before uh, church that I don't know. I need to I need to pray because I feel as though someone in here needs to hear God's voice. You're you're in a place where it's just not clear. You're confused. You're fearful and you just need to hear God's voice. And we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray that the enemy would get his hands off of your ears and that you would hear God so that you can begin to see clearly in this season. So I, I just want, want you to bow your head, and we're going to have you raise your hand. If you want to hear God clearly, I'm going to have you raise your hand. I just want to pray over you and for you. not going to have you come to the front or anything. You don't have to be afraid of that. But if you want to hear God more clear, bow your heads. We're going to be in a prayer. Just raise your hands. I want to pray over you. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, God. Lord, we love you. And God, I pray that you would take the hands of the enemy off our spiritual ears, that we would begin to hear you better, hear you more clear, that God, you would guide us, that you would make things evident, that you are working, you are moving, you are good, and that you're for us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lead us, God. As we hear you, God, open up our vision. Help us to see what it is you're doing in our lives. Help us to see what it is you want to do, what you're calling us to. Help us to hear you when you say, Lord, when you say forgive. Help us to hear you when you say seek. Help us to hear you when you say press in. Help us to hear you when you say obey, Jesus. Give us the strength. Help us to hear so that we can see. Thank you.